0: I want to tell you about Doer, which you can find at doer.ca, but they also have stores in Vancouver, Toronto, and Los Angeles. Doer stands for natural performance and simplicity. We're talking about the world's most comfortable pants. I'm not kidding. I have a pair of these. They're incredible. Designed with the belief that comfort, style, and function should complement rather than compete. Basically, a single pair of doer pants can take you from the bike lane to the boardroom and out to dinner, all while maintaining a sense of effortless sophistication. And these pants are maximum stretched, they are reinforced in all the scenes, and they're made with Cool Max all season polyester and lycra spandex. So, this is what's so neat about these. If you're a hockey player, and I'm a terrible one, if you're a hockey player like I am though, you got the big leg thing going on. It's hard to find jeans in the skinny jean era, but Doer has kind of made it easy because you just pull them on, Your size is your size. There's no surprises. You got to check it out. Again, this is a Canadian company. They're based in Vancouver and they are awesome. They've garnered a global following for reverse engineering technical performance features in wardrobe staples. And pants aren't all they do. You should check it all out at doer.ca. That's D U E R.ca. And right now, when you use the promo code SDPN, at Duer.ca, D-U-E-R.ca, you get 15% off your first order. So it's D-U-E-R.ca, use that promo code, S-D-P-N, get 15% off your first order. This is Agent
1: Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wilde, powered by Sports
0: Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.
1: Welcome to the Playoff Edition Part 2 of Agent Provocateur with Adam Wilde.
0: Hello. <laughs>
1: Hello, Adam. How are you?
0: I'm great. You know what, Alan? I'm uh, I'm thrilled. Listen, I know uh, we didn't get an episode out last week because you, sir, have been busy. And we had a guest book for this who's been delayed till next week, which we're very excited about. I'm not going to say who until the episode comes out, but um, very, very excited about that. And you know what's cra- great about this is that I get you. I just get Alan Walsh on his own. And what, and what Alan said before the show, what you did not hear is, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to say. So <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled because I've got some questions. And part of this whole playoffs, you know, playoff stories thing is obviously it's the most special part of the year, right? And, and before we get into some stories, because I have a couple of questions for you and a couple of things that I think will bring stories out. These playoffs have been the most normal, I would say, since the 18-19 season. Um, in your experience... Are are you seeing? Is it is it the best feeling you've had since then? How are these different than the last two? Well, I was just in Tampa for games three and
1: four of the series against the Rangers, and I interacted a lot with uh, several people in the Lightning organization, uh, Rangers organization, front office, coaching staff, um, players on Tampa, a few players on the Rangers, and. It's a it's a great series. It's an exciting series. Uh, games three and four, live in Tampa, full oh. house, crazy fans. Game three, overtime win for Tampa. Game four, I think Tampa dominated a lot more and had the game pretty well in hand. Uh, Rangers have some injuries. You kind of felt uh, the momentum swing after the OT goal that you know, winning two cups in a row is extraordinary winning three in a row. If that's ultimately what happens or even playing for your third is beyond extraordinary. Yeah. But there's a certain feeling that I see and I sense talking to the Tampa players that I've seen and felt only a few times in my 27 years you know the Pittsburgh team back in 09 and 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 through the you know 2010 to 2015 mm-hmm. literally every year they were contenders yeah and they had a certain swagger and confidence about them and when when we talked hockey during the playoffs these guys knew what they needed to do and in talking to the guys with Tampa, they've got the confidence of two cups in a row under their belt already. I think the biggest battle these guys have right now is with each other inside. Do they have the fire, the energy, um, the the commitment to to, to keep going? Because Let's face it; they're tired. Yeah, and they've had they've had short off seasons. They've had you know one playoff in the bubble. Um, these guys have played more hockey than literally anybody else, and the the core of of Tampa has pretty much stayed together over this run, right? Mm-hmm. So they're they're tired. So they're they're finding that extra well of adrenaline and energy to to face, you know, the challenges that they have conference final and maybe heading to the Stanley Cup final. The Rangers are a great team yeah, and no disrespect to them at all, but they're young and they don't have uh, that that prior two years of of experience in these games. And that might tend to be the difference maker.
0: So at, at, at this recording, they're tied two two. game five is tonight. So, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, you know, later on, you already know how game five or game six goes, but, um, Alan, I got to ask you about, uh, Jan Ruda. He's, he's your client. He's won the last two cups. Um, and, you know, obviously, now one of the most experienced playoff defensemen of the era, right? I mean, this guy, this guy's seen it all. Um, when you see players in this position, you've seen it so many times. You've seen it with uh, Perron and Dupuis and, and Marc-Andre Fleury and so many players that have gone deeper into the playoffs. Um, is there an excitement when you get to the third round or is it like a focus or like what, how do you describe the mood? I know they're tired, but is there a, do they get sort of jumpy? Do they get nervous? What, where are they at right now? Or where, where do players normally find themselves at this point in the year?
1: Well, it's funny. I spent um, uh, a good amount of time with Jan over the last uh, few days with Jan and his wonderful girlfriend. And, um, y- you know, he is, is a guy that keeps his emotions in check. Okay. Pardon the pun. He is not overly, um, excitable. He's, you know, I've seen him the night before a game and he doesn't really want to talk about hockey. He wants the distraction of talking about life. So we talk about all kinds of different stuff. We'll talk about, um, politics. We'll talk about music. We'll talk about, um, uh shows we might be watching uh series we'll talk about anything except hockey mm-hmm. and and it's good we have a, a great chemistry with each other with our fun conversations and and then i see him after a game you know like after 3 and after 4 and you can see he's 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 tired but you also see that he's already, you know, looking forward to the next one. So after game four, he came and met me at the, at the Marriott across the street. And uh, we sat and had a very light, late dinner and just sat and talked a little bit at that time about the game. And uh, after about half an hour, uh, I see him sitting on the couch and he's kind of it's kind of <laughs> fading. And, and, and I'm like, Yanni, Yanni, go, go, go home. Go go to bed.
0: Go to bed. Go to bed. And that well, was two it, days ago. And what's it like for an agent to, to watch? And, and I've got I swear I've got more questions coming up, but but what's it like for, you know, you these guys sometimes you meet them. We talked a little bit about it when Marc-Andre Fleury was on. Um, you meet them when they're 15, 16 years old, sometimes, right? And you know the case of Martin Havlat, I think he was 17 or 18, and you see him, and you see watch them grow, and watch them kind of come up. When they get this far, and they get this close, how is it for you? Well, it, it's it's interesting, and I'll tell you a story. Uh, and I'll good, I'm include, hoping you would because I love I'll, your stories.
1: I'll, yeah. I'll include Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, it's a it's a flower story. So, in 2009. Uh, The Penguins were down 3-2 in the finals against Detroit. And they went back to Pittsburgh for game six, and they won. And it was a great game. And they are now in Detroit for game seven. And I'm talking to Mark, and he's got his whole family coming in. And his wife's going to be there, his father, his mother, his sister. And Mark says, you know, are you coming? And I was like, yeah, for sure. So I fly in to Detroit on the day of game seven, and they're staying at the MGM Grand in Detroit, which is a hotel and a real cheesy casino. Okay. All right. (laughs) And I never, uh, I won't say never, I, I almost never see a client or speak to a client even on game day. There's radio silence. If I'm calling a client on game day, it's because there's something urgent going on where I need to break radio silence. And I could think in 27 years, it's maybe happened you, you know, three or four or five times ever, even during the regular season. So I get into the MGM. I've got my roller bag with me. And I come through the front door and I get my key. I check in and now I'm heading to the elevators and I get to the elevators. The elevator door is open and flower comes out of the elevator with his suit and tie on heading to the bus. And I'm like, fuck, I don't want to see him right now. And I don't want to talk to him right now because it's like game day, right? He's going to play game seven. And uh, comes out of the elevator. We're like eyeball eyeball. Comes over, gives me a little hug, and I and I I have to say something now, right? <laughs> so I'm like holding him by the shoulders, and I'm looking at him. I was like, "Go win the game, <laughs> like, go win the game." Because there's nothing else that came to my mind except go win the game. And uh, and he smiles, and he's like gives me a little wave, and off he goes, right? So I'm getting into the elevator. And I'm like, shit, I just like I didn't want to see him. I didn't know. Like, it was like four o'clock. I didn't think it was going to be that early. And what we later found out, and he actually talked about it on the episode. He was in bed trying to nap that afternoon and he couldn't get to sleep because in the room right next door to him, there was parting going on.
0: Yes. And yes. it was really
1: loud and he couldn't get to sleep. So Mark being Mark, and he told the story, and it's hilarious to think about him doing this before playing game seven. He went and took a garbage pail, a garbage can in in his room, filled it up with water went and tipped it against the front door of that room, knocked on the door and took off running. And as he rounded the corner, heard the door open and the guy go, oh, water spilled all over him. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. Who does that? Who does that? Right. And I didn't know that story until later, but here he is, comes down the elevator, opens up and boom, there I am you know, and we're together, which, which is, uh, which is hilarious. So to get back to your, your question, how do I feel? Mm-hmm. I feel, you, you know, proud, excited, nervous. we I mean, game seven was one of the only games that game seven and oh nine, where I was nervous the entire game. Wow. I was nervous the entire game. And I, I remember uh, being in Anaheim the, when Anaheim clinched the cup. Okay, mm-hmm. in in their one time when they won the cup, and I'm sitting in the stands, in the back row of the lower bowl, and the assistant GM was going in, watching a shift running out as soon as the whistle was blown, pacing back and forth in the concourse, okay, furiously pacing back and forth. And when he looked at a monitor, that the puck was going to be dropped, running back in, standing there, watching the play, moving his body with everything. And as soon as there was a whistle, running back out into the concourse and pacing again back and forth the entire game. The entire, and I literally was like sitting one section over watching this show go on. I'm like, this guy's nuts.
0: (laughs) This guy's nuts. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a really, like I said earlier, it's a special time of year. Now the last couple of playoffs and I sort of referenced this before have been different. You know, you, you, you had the bubble playoffs and even last year, the Canadian teams had to all play each other, No, you know, empty arenas. Um, so I want to ask you about that bubble playoff year, uh, because I, you know, you had done the playoffs, Alan for 25 years, the same way they're always different, but if there's a rhythm, right, there's a routine yep. to them. And then all of a sudden COVID hits, we're not sure if we're going to play hockey again the entire year, the NHL did, you know, I have to give them full credit here. They did a great job pulling the bubble together and having it in Toronto at Edmonton and didn't have a positive case testing the players every day. That was a remarkable achievement. Yep. What was your experience in those playoffs? What did you have access to? Could you, go, could you go? Did you have to watch from home? Like, how was that for you? Yeah, there was a very strict bubble. And
1: there nobody from the outside was allowed in. And for the few people, uh, for example, people who worked in the NHLPA mm-hmm. who wanted into the bubble, um, midway through for a period of time, they would have to quarantine and test daily for 10 days and then go into the bubble, stay isolated in their room, in the bubble test for five days, and then they're out. I mean, that's how strict it was. There were no agents. There was no family. There were no friends. Nobody was allowed into the bubble but I heard a lot of stories about uh, what was going on in the bubble. Uh, And in fact, I was talking about this with some players in the last uh, few weeks who were reminiscing. Uh, Everyone got into the bubble uh, both in Toronto and Edmonton. And at night uh, Toronto had a rooftop and they had tables set up and the tables were set up by team. So you had every team kind of represented And then I heard there was a Russian table where all the Russian players from all the different teams were all sitting around that table. There was a Czech table that included (laughs) a bunch of Slovak players and a bunch of players were sitting there from all different teams. And for the first couple of nights, the guys were like, Hey, this is a lot of fun, (laughs) right? This is a lot of fun. We're all hanging out. You know, it's warm. It's nice. We got all our buddies, You know, have a couple of beers, laughing, talking, Um, but very quickly, the isolation uh, and the inability to go anywhere, can't go to a restaurant, you know, can't go out of the bubble. You know, the um, there was an area in Edmonton uh, connected to the hotel that they erected these big fences and, and it was sort of like an outdoor area that the players could go into. And there were some benches put inside there. It was nicknamed the prison yard. Oh, and that's what it was called. Like, you know, are you going to the yard? Are you going to the prison yard today? Hey, I'm in the, I'm at the prison yard. Come out and that's what it was called. Wow. Uh, and it really uh, had that um, isolation feel to it. I mean, at the end of the day, there were a lot of things promised to the players before they went into the bubble. and most of it turned out to be BS. Oh, you know, it was interesting. I mean they were promised the ability to go on, uh, you know, go play golf on off days. And um, players said that they went they were you know, they had an organized trip out there one time the entire bubble. And it was a disaster. Um, There were a lot of things, a lot of um, activities promised to them before they went in. And I think a lot of resentment and anger was building at the fact that they were months without their families. Okay. Yeah. Months not seeing their kids, months not seeing their partners, their wives, their girlfriends months not seeing their moms and dads during a very difficult time for society, you know, during the pandemic. And they were all into doing what they needed to do. You know, they're at the end of the day. And we're not talking about, you know, being a prima donna. These are, these are guys that, you know, they're, they're doing a job and they're getting paid and we all get that. Mm -hmm. And they're playing, playing this game. But at the same time, It was very difficult conditions to be playing under. So I think overall, the bubble experience, yes, it was successful. Mm -hmm. Yes, they were able to complete the playoffs in the bubble. And that's a remarkable accomplishment. And nobody tested positive. That's a remarkable accomplishment. Uh, But it took a toll on guys' mental health. um, And uh, I don't think it's anything uh, you you know, talking about last year, mm-hmm. if you brought up the idea that if, if COVID got to the cer- a certain point, you'd have to go back into a bubble, I think we'd have a real issue with guys being willing to go do that again.
0: Interesting. That's really interesting. You know, it's funny, you know, <clears throat> especially up in Canada, when Omicron hit, you know, we sort of went back into a lockdown. It's hard to believe Actually, from my perspective, like we, were, you and I were doing shows during that, and it's hard to believe that um, you know it was like a mini lockdown. Hard to believe that that was this year, right? It doesn't. It feels like it was eons ago. Yeah. Um. But it's amazing how quickly that could happen. I think that the the thing was, I think that there were players and there were media that were certainly spooked by that, and certainly spooked by the fact that. Yeah, they're still playing games, but nobody's at the rink, at least in Canada, for parts of Canada, right? Um, I wonder now if something like that were to happen, because obviously at the time it was unprecedented. And there was a negotiation going on, I believe, before that with the PA and the NHL about how they were going to split revenues and how player salaries were going to be paid. Am I correct in, that, in, in remembering that?
1: Sure. There was, a, there was an MOU, a Memorandum of
0: Understanding, and a uh, new CBA negotiated. So how do you think now, if this were to happen again, and I, I'm not suggesting that it will, but how do you think it goes differently this time? You know, is there, is there more assurances made from the NHL to the PA about things? What, what do you think the players know now that maybe they didn't before?
1: Well, I think that, um, I, I think the CBA, as it was negotiated, during the period of time that it was negotiated uh, was the best deal that could be made for both sides. We allowed the game to continue and it needed to continue. The season needed to have an end to it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We had to have a playoff and we did. The NBA went into a bubble in Orlando. The NHL went into Toronto and Edmonton. And 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 they were able to finish the season Um, ultimately because of the pandemic two seasons ago, there was a a escrow debt created because the season didn't pause until Mm mid-March and the NHL teams make a, a large chunk of their hockey related revenues towards the end of the season and playoffs and all that money from the gates were lost, right? Because we played in empty arenas. Mm -hmm. So we finished with the players receiving in that year, about 350 million of compensation above 50%. After the loss of all their escrow, Mm-hmm. and the players giving up their entire last payroll check okay so there was still at the, you know escrow equalizes the amount of money going to each side mm-hmm. and brings it down to 50% down to the penny okay <laughs> now that you have the players making 350 million more there's only one way to figure this out. And that is the players somehow pay back the 350 million all in one shot, which means the players currently in the league would be taking a 40, 45% hit on their compensation for the season,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or you spread it out. right? And the way that they decided to handle the situation was to spread it out. So they agreed on keeping the upper limit to -hmm. the cap uh, stable, uh, you know, put a thumbtack at where it is and allow maybe a $1 million bump per year if revenues hit certain numbers going forward. And anticipating the next year, We'll probably at least start with empty arenas. Mm-hmm. And we had empty arenas for you know, a good chunk of the year. By the end of last season, the escrow debt, the amount of money over 50% that the players had received was 1.1 billion. Oh, Okay. Now, now that we're back to full arenas, and the business is 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 churning and and robust, and we have new TV deals. Um, that escrow debt is going to be chipped away, and the owners will be made whole to the penny. But it's probably not going to happen until twenty twenty five. So that's why we're going to have a flat cap, because part of the deal is the cap is going to remain relatively flat until the entire escrow debt is paid off. Right. Okay. But many teams and GMs that I've talked to are anticipating 2024 or 2025 at the latest. When the escrow debt does get paid off, there's going to be a huge jump in the cap. So let's say we're at 84.5 or 85.5 million in three or four years, I'm factoring in a $1 million bump every year. Okay. Okay. That, uh, when that debt is paid off in three or four years, hopefully three, uh, you can then see the upper limit jumping in one off season to the mid nineties. And that's going to give teams the ability to sign free agents Teams that are up against the cap right now uh, will have much greater flexibility. But as we uh, inch closer to free agency, July 12th, this yeah. offseason, you've already, I mean, I'm talking to GMs, they're like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm already 3 million over the cap before we even get, I got to sign four guys, five guys. You know, there's some teams that are 10 million over the cap and they've got to sign five, six guys. Yeah. You know, there's 21 teams right now at or over the cap for next year before they sign any of their guys.
0: 21? 21 teams. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, so that'll be an interesting one because I think obviously, you know, there, there are some teams that are not that are barely playing to to reach the cap floor. I guess they would use that to your, their competitive advantage. But at some point, it feels like Alan that this is sort of unsustainable. Three more summers of this, or two more summers of this. I don't probably, know. Probably, probably three. I it just. I mean, I listen. I'd want to be if I was your client and I was a gifted athlete. I'd want to be a free agent in the summer of twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six. Right, like that's oh. awesome.
1: There mark my words right now, write it on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, mark open summer 2025. Uh that free agent period, uh July 1 and thereafter
0: that summer is going to be wild. You are the first person I've heard talk about that. That's interesting. So okay. I, I'm I'm curious. I wonder, I wonder too, and, and and listen, I know you can't speculate on some of this stuff, but it makes me wonder as a fan, how many how many two- and three-year contracts we're going to see this summer, right? Especially with RFAs, you know, guys that are going to walk, you know, they're, you know I think of a guy like, and, and again, I know you can't comment on this, but I think of a Matt Barzal who has a pending extension at some point, um, you know, 26, 27 years old at that point. So, you know, there's some, there's some big names right now who are going to be in the prime of their career. That will be very interesting. And, and Alan, when, when, um, when you're navigating... A team that's over the cap so that's let's say it's your guy okay your team or your, the, the team wants to sign your guy um your guy's an rfa and there are two, two or three million bucks over the cap does the gm call you and say hey listen let's get the negotiation done now i'm going to clear some cap cap space and sign this or do they say i got to clear cap space before we we can even talk how does that normally go both things happen Okay. And it really
1: depends on um, your personal relationship with the GM and your ability to take a verbal promise and, and believe that that promise is rock solid. So I had a GM uh, two years ago say to me, Alan, listen, I uh, want to get your player signed. He was a returning player. He had been there for a number of years. I want to get him signed, um, but I have to clear cap space, and I'll make you. We will we'll, when we agree, and hopefully we can agree on a on a deal pretty quick on term and money. I'm not going to be able to execute that deal until August 15th, and we're in we're in June.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He says, and I will. Get on the phone with you and the player, and I will give you my word no matter what happens. He gets an injury in the offseason. There isn't anything that can happen that will cause me to go back on my word on August 15th. You don't need to call me. I will send you the contract. Now, this is a GM that I've done a lot of business with for many, many years. When he says, I give you my word, that's good enough for me. And he's also trusting me that I don't get a better offer and come back to him and say, sorry, I got a better offer. You've been counting on this player coming back. We have a deal, but he's going somewhere else. So both sides are trusting each other, okay? And I explain that to the player. I go, if we're going to get on the phone with the GM, we have a deal. You're happy with the deal. Yes, I'm happy with the deal. Okay, we're not going to sign this until August 15th, okay? You're comfortable taking his word? And the player said to me, if you're comfortable, I'm comfortable. Is there any chance... He will go back on his word. And I said, I will stake my reputation with you and say, no, he wow. says, well, that's good enough for me. Okay. That's a lot player, of pressure on you. Player wanted to come back to that team. You, you know, family wanted to stay in that city. You no. Know, and I said to the player, now, remember, if I get a if I get a, you know, you're not signed. You're a free agent. You get a call. I get a call. Here's more years or more money somewhere else. We're not taking that deal. And we're agreeing to that now. If you're not comfortable with that, then we go to free agency. This has got to be your decision. But I'm telling you, if we have a deal, if we have a, we both get on the phone and we say, yes, there's a deal. I am 100% convinced he will follow through with his word because he's a man of honor, okay? Now, there are several other GMs in the league where I would never make that deal with because their word isn't worth uh, the toilet paper
0: it's written on, (laughs) okay? Okay. I'm not going to speculate out loud, but I think I might know who you're talking about. At well, least, a it's 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 many people. Right? It's many people.
1: Um, a verbal a verbal agreement is nothing. You have mm-hmm. nothing. Right. And in fact, there have been some very interesting things happen in NHL history. For example, there was a situation where a player signed. He didn't sign. He goes to free agency, he goes to free agency and his agent sent an email back to the team. He had been negotiating with them all day, confirming we have a deal. This is the term. Mm -hmm. These are the dollars and laid out the deal, confirming in writing, we have a deal. Sends the email to the GM. The team releases the information on the signing. We have signed this player to so many years and so much money. And then the team sends the contract to the agent. One day goes by. The contract has not been returned. GM calls. um, We need to get the contract back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being worked on. Being worked on. You'll get it back. Okay. Another day. I need the contract. Yeah, yeah, it's being worked on. You'll, you'll, you'll have it. In the meantime, there's an announcement that another team in the NHL has signed that player to a deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. The team that originally had him said, "You can't do that. We have an email from the agent confirming the deal in writing. We have a deal. Right." NHL rules say unless the contract and a standard player contract signed by both parties, the club and the player, is duly registered with NHL Central Registry, you have nothing. Whoa. Okay. There is nothing valid, recognized, or enforceable until Central Registry so the you, player can stand up and say to the media, yes, I've given my word. I'm going there. The player or the agent can email the team saying, I'm confirming we have a deal. Mm-hmm. You have nothing until that contract is registered with central registry and accepted by the NHL. Wow. So at the time, Gary Bettman ruled that the original team should have known better that they, uh, email from the agent wasn't enough, and the contract signed with the late-coming team to the party, that contract was ruled valid, and the original team was left with nothing. Now, they had relied on that contract and had gone two days into free agency having everybody sign everywhere else, and now they have a big hole to fill, and all the players that would have been next on their list after the player they thought they signed were gone.
0: I think I know who the player is, by the way. I think I know that story. Um, If I'm correct, we'll talk after the show, but I'm pretty sure I know who that is. Um, And that's a pretty, it's a pretty notorious player story. Anyway, player story. Um, So, okay, let me ask you this. You're the agent in that situation. I'm going to put you in that situation. What does that do to your relationship with that general manager from the first team? Oh, it would destroy it. So the next time you have to call them, let's say you got a player on that team. What's that like for you? What do you guys do? How do you get past it?
1: I, I, I have to say, like I, I don't want to criticize anybody else, mm-hmm. but um, I would be very care. I have been very careful never to get into a situation like that uh, ever, I, I had one situation happen to me a long, long time ago, where uh, a player went into training camp on a PTO, okay, and uh, had a really good camp and made the team. And uh, GM calls me up. Here's the offer, one way. Great. He's had a really good camp. You know we're happy. I was like, okay, I'll call you back. I call the player. Hey, GM called. I've got an offer. One-way deal. What do you say? Oh yeah, this is great. We have a deal? Yeah, we have a deal. I called the GM back. We have a deal. Great. Um, have him come by my office tomorrow morning before practice. The contract will be ready to sign. And someone in my office is going to send it to you tonight to look over first. Mm-hmm. Great. Somewhere between the player saying to me, we have a deal. And in the morning, the player got an offer from Europe mm. for a lot of money. Okay. Okay. So the player goes into the GM's office sits down and he picks up the pen and he looks at the contract and he goes, I can't sign it. And the GM says, what what do you mean you can't sign it? He goes, I can't sign it. He's like, what do you mean? He said, I got a better offer last night from a team in Europe I I cannot sign it now for this money. He's like, but we have a deal. Alan confirmed the deal, said you confirmed the deal. Yeah, 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 I I, I did. But the situation has changed. So the GM gets me on the phone and I don't know anything about this. And uh, he says, "Uh, hey, uh, we got a problem here. So what's the problem? He goes, the player's holding the pen in his hand. And he won't sign the contract. I said, like, What do you mean he won't sign the contract? He says he's got a better offer in Europe and uh, he needs more money. And he says, The player can hear me right now. I'm not giving him another fucking dollar. We had a deal. You said deal. And I said, Yeah, I, I did. I said, Can I have a word with my client? He goes, Sure. Because I'm leaving. So he leaves his office and it's me and my client on the phone. And I said, what's going on? He's like, well, I didn't want to call you. And uh, I'm getting a lot of pressure from my family. Uh, I-, I-, I can't sign this deal. I was like, you came to camp on a PTO. You made the team. You've got a contract. This is what your goal was from the beginning. He says, yeah, but I got a bigger offer in Europe. I said, well, it's your decision. You do what you want to do. He's like, I want to sign this deal. My family wants me to take the most money. And I was like, you've got to make your decision. And whatever it is, everybody will respect it. So he says, okay, um, I'm... uh, I'm going to go to Europe. I said, okay. Ooh. And uh, the GM comes back into the office. And the GM says, uh, well, what are we going to do? And I'm on speakerphone, on the GM speakerphone. And the player says, uh, Alan, tell him. Oh. So I said, uh, oh. he's, uh, he's going to go to Europe. Okay. Line went dead. Player got up, left the office, and off he went to Europe.
0: Oh, and that's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Alan Walsh, you know what? I think that's a good one to end on. Oh, the off, that's, I'm, I'm dying a little inside. (laughs) <laughs> and you know what kills me? is like, Alan, you tell them. <laughs> Fuck. Oh man. Okay. Well, listen, you know, we have an exciting week next week where we're, we're probably going to record a couple of shows that will come over the next couple of weeks, but we got some great guests lined up for this. I love Alan. I love you on your own. And I love the fact that today we got it. We got to kind of shoot it around a little bit. And, and one of the things that, Um, I have to tell you about, about Alan and and when we talk is that these stories, they just kind of come, they just materialize out of thin air and it's like, Oh, I haven't thought about this for a while, but let me tell you this. And it's the most fascinating shit you've ever heard in your life. And excuse me for swearing, but I have to say it. So Alan, it's so great to get you like this just on your own. Um, but we're going to have a couple of guests that I think are going to absolutely love Uh, In the next couple of weeks, you're going to give you some insights that are just crazy and the kinds of things you expect from agent provocateur. So Alan, thank you so much for today's show. It was awesome. And uh, very excited over the next couple of weeks. You got it. It's always a pleasure sitting with you, Adam, telling stories, having guests, doing all the stuff
1: we do. It's been a uh, agent provocateur has been a lot of fun for me. And uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed most is learning what a privilege it is to work with you and Jesse Thank so um, on to next week. This has been Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's sportsbook. Follow Alan Walsh on Twitter at Walsh A. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching Agent Provocateur and hitting the subscribe button. YouTube.com slash SDPN.